examining the latest research and telling you about the latest breakthroughs. The Science and Research Show is on the scope. Tibetans thrive in the high mountains of the Tibetan Plateau, conditions that most others just can't survive in. My guest, Dr. Joseph Perkal, a professor in internal medicine at the University of Utah, led a study identifying an 8,000-year-old variation in the DNA sequence of Tibetans that help explain their amazing adaptation. Today, I'm also joined by first author of the study, Dr. Felipe Lorenzo, and Dr. Sewang Tashi, who is also an author on the paper and a native Tibetan. Dr. Pakal, Tibetans and lowlanders like us adapt very differently to high-altitude conditions. What are the differences that you're interested in? The obvious differences is that if lowlanders go to very high altitude, they may die. If you stay there for a long time, there are some chronic consequences which are not uh, suitable for reproduction and for thriving in this high altitude. There are many, and some of them we will not fully understand. But one of them is what we call pulmonary hypertension, that uh, the pressure in the lungs is so high that it interferes uh, with the circulation and you get eventually heart failure. The other well-known adaptation is the level of oxygen uh, tightly controls how many red cells we make. Mm-hmm. It means if we don't have enough oxygen, we make more red cells. So if you go to high altitude where the oxygen pressure is lower, we make too many red cells. That's called polycythemia. That means the blood gets too thick and it's not very suitable for them. But it's been known that most of the Tibetans have a normal level of hemoglobin in very high altitude. And this is something which uh, gave us tools to study this. And we selected then the Tibetans who had a high hemoglobin and low hemoglobin. And that allows us to look at the genetic differences in these two populations. And with a graduate student here from the Department of Genetics, uh, Tatum Simonson, we selected these two populations, did at that time the state-of-art genetic studies, and we were able to look at the fingerprint of the genes of interest. So we selected about 300 genes, Mm -hmm. and 10 of them have been clearly selected. That means they achieve much higher uh, frequency in Tibetans, in those who were adapted well to high altitude. And these adaptation mutations then uh, 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 must have some beneficial effect. And so that was the first lead. And uh, the uh, two of the genes which uh, were selected uh, had something to do with how the body responds to oxygen. So one of them, a gene called PHD2, is a negative regulator of master regulators of response to hypoxia, which is called HIF. And what does the gene do? It decreases the over-response to very low oxygen. Mm -hmm. So sometimes our physiological responses may be detrimental. And so... By modulating the, uh, the intensity of the response, I think that was one of the benefits. Dr. Lorenzo, you've been on the trail of this gene for a long time. It must have been satisfying to, to find it at last. It's really a challenge, actually. Uh, sequencing that region of a gene, which is GC-rich, uh, took me like six to nine months of trial and error. Finally, when we get it, uh, it was just like you win a lottery <laughs> and something to move on. So when, when you saw it, you knew that was the one just because of... Yes, because yeah. it's uh, reproducible, it's mm-hmm. there, it's common mm-hmm. in our sample and not common in the control. So there's a story to tell. So if the variation was selected for, it must be important. If a gene happens to be beneficial in a given environment, with each generation, the prevalence 
of these genes will increase. Mm-hmm. And so, again, if the Dr. Lorenzo's mutation of variant is found in 85% of Tibetans, it must be beneficial. Dr. Tashi, uh, you're a native Tibetan. Um, it, it sounds like uh, you, you guys went through great lengths to get, gain acceptance by the Tibetan community. So I joined here in 2012 in University of Utah, and one day Dr. Prakal approached me while I was in the clinic, and he was very excited that I was a Tibetan, and I was kind of surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Initially, you know, he, um, it seemed to me that he just wanted some blood, and I said, well, that's easy. I can get some friends and get some blood. <laughs> were, you, were you one of the ones sequenced in this oh, study? Uh, of course, yes. He is. One of the first ones. And later on, as the study progressed, I realized the significance of the whole study and this is a new potential a very groundbreaking discovery in a sense and the importance that it would have uh, for this, not only for the science as a whole but being a tibetan and also something uniquely tibetan yeah that that that's potentially the result of this then we decided that okay we should go and get involved more Tibetan actually we went there twice and uh, Tibetans are not really yeah, you know they don't really like to give blood like uh-huh. you know, because when you hear blood it's kind of wow yeah the so ones you were able to explain it to them um, and, and probably the fact that you are a Tibetan yourself and you're willing to undergo this that helped them to accept it yeah that was one of the major mm-hmm. helping points this is why Tsewang is very, as a key for the success of this study because Dr. Prakal and I went actually to the community. It took us six to nine months talking to them and we got two samples. Uh-huh. It's really... We were well received. But when it came to collecting blood, they just backed out. So yeah. it's really a key to let him into the study. And it really did go well. And in the end, how many took part? Uh, for here locally, we have a 26 or 28, and then abroad it's 60 plus. Wow. Yeah, both India. Well, we can probably more than 200 more than samples. 200 in China, but both yeah, more than 200 samples. It was important for you to get letters of support from yes. uh, high leaders in the Tibetan community, right. including the Dalai Lama. But Dalai Lama was contacted by a physician, principal physician called Dr. Dorje who easily organizes, organ, organize all these Tibetan healthcare in exile community. And that only happened through Dr. Tashi. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Dorji has contacted Dalai Lama, explained to him what we try to do. And Dalai Lama felt that better understanding of Tibetan adaptation would be helpful to Tibetan community, but also to humanity at mm. large. Mm. And I think that Dalai Lama is a very ethical man, and when it comes to ethical issues, I think it's very important to him. What are the implications of this work? There are many human disorders which are regulated by oxygen. Not only the pulmonary or lung uh, diseases, brain edema, but also cancer. So we think that delineation of this Tibetan adaptation and deeper understanding of this can eventually lead to better understanding of common human diseases. Interesting, informative, and all in the name of better health. This is the Scope Health Sciences Radio.